1: To help Cam H treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase. Today. Visit Douglas.ca slash Canadaland to claim this offer. That is Douglas.ca slash Canadaland. What happened in New Zealand last week happened here first. Alexandra Bissonnette slaughtered six people while they prayed in a Quebec mosque. But before those murders came the media. Bissonnette was glued to the feeds of right-wing podcaster, Ben Shapiro, Fox News host, Tucker Carlson, and others. Of course, you don't have to go back that far to find anti-Muslim violence in Canada, following the consumption of anti-Muslim media. Just this past October, Somebody tried to burn down a Radisson hotel here in Toronto after the Toronto Sun published a column by Sue Ann Levy, identifying that hotel as the place where hundreds of asylum seekers were being put up by the government. Sue Ann Levy described the hotel, which she had not visited, as kind of like a D-based hellhole, trashed by ungrateful, illegal migrants who had turned it into a, quote, filthy zoo. Memorably she reported that goats were being slaughtered by these illegals in the hotel bathrooms. Her source for that was an anonymous review left on TripAdvisor. That was all false, of course, but nevertheless, about two and a half hours later, somebody stuffed a rag into a gas canister and went to that hotel and lit it on fire in a third-floor hallway. A maintenance worker got there before the blaze got too bad, kicked the gas canister into a concrete stairwell, and extinguished it. To be clear, this was an attempted murder of 577 migrants, most of them Muslims. And that was a column in the Toronto Sun. Yes, it's a right wing tabloid, but it is also a mainstream newspaper published by Post Media, the biggest newspaper company in Canada, a company that is about to receive millions of dollars every year in federal subsidies now based on their actions that company simply does not care the toronto sun quietly corrected the goat detail left the rest of the piece up the date on the column has been curiously changed it now says that the column was published a day after the attempted firebombing which is simply not true there is no indication that sue ann levy was censured in any way for that column And she has continued on with much of the same, as have many other Sun columnists who regularly target Muslims. Levy has mocked her critics. She has shrugged off any responsibility for what happened. She has doubled and tripled down. She is defiant. What the hell do you do about something like that? What do you do when the largest newspaper company in the country turns against some of the most vulnerable people in the country? using rhetoric and lies to paint a bullseye on them, even going so far as to tell you where you can find them. Now, what I'm supposed to do is hold the media accountable. It hasn't worked. I've asked the Toronto Sun's editor-in-chief, Adrian Batra, to be interviewed on this show about that story and about a lot of other things that she has published. She won't do it. An editor-in-chief is supposed to be where the buck stops. This is the person who is ultimately responsible for everything that a newspaper runs. But she simply said, no thanks. I confronted Post Media's CEO, Andrew McLeod, about that column and some other stuff earlier this month when we were together on a panel on TVO's The Agenda with Steve Pakin. He ignored the issue entirely and attacked me instead. He said that I was creating narratives and that I was inaccurate. He said that he didn't have time to explain what specifically I was inaccurate about. So what do you do? Unless you think that the sun has broken Canada's hate speech laws, which is pretty damn hard to do. You basically have to explicitly call for violence against a group. Unless you think that they've done that, there is really only one thing you can do. You can complain to the national news media council and a lot of people have, about that goat column for sure, but about many other stories as well, stories published throughout Canada's news media. The Council's mission is to, quote, promote an accountable Canadian news media and a responsible news readership. Their legitimacy is recognized by dozens of news organizations, including this one, who sign on with them and pay them annual dues to take complaints about us, analyze those complaints, and issue rulings. When the buck does not stop with editors-in-chief, or even with CEOs, it stops with the council. And the council joins me in a minute. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Paul Duffy, Daphne Lucadellis, Sonia, Robert Donnelly, Ariz Gangji, Dominic Damian wallace Steve Wellman, and Jeff Falk.
0: This is Jeff Falk from Vancouver, Canada. I'm a successful slacker. You offer excellent and diverse guests, and I regularly add to my list of people to follow and read. And finally, you have Commons Corruption with Arshi Mann. I tell anyone who will listen to me that they have to listen to Arshi.
1: Help as the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Cuz you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com/canadaland. That's BetterHelp.com slash l p.com/canadaland. Introduce yourselves and tell me what you do.
0: I'm Pat Perkel and I'm Executive Director of the News Media Council. I do I'm a staff person. Right.
2: She'd be modest. I'm John Fraser. I am the recently appointed executive chair. I was initially a president and CEO, but I promoted myself. Pat is at the core values of what we do because she's the coordinator of
1: all the complaints that come in. And Pat, you reached out because, uh, to paraphrase, I think you expressed that you, you had made a New Year's resolution of the council to become more a part of the conversation. Right. Before we get into the specific cases, what do you want the public to know about the council?
0: First of all, that we exist and what our role is in terms of helping to promote journalism standards, to talk about journalism standards and ethics, to let the public know that which media are members of us and have taken that extra step to uphold the ethics um, and to provide an avenue for if people have questions or complaints about what they see in the media.
2: I guess also people who do know about press councils, Sometimes they have a very um, dark view of the old press councils. They thought they were just publishers, antidotes to keep government away. Which sometimes that is, was the case. But one
1: of the it's things, and still, still is to some extent,
2: it is. But one of the things we've been trying to do is to diversify the membership so much that no one, no one group actually yeah. can claim us. So that's so why we've got an academic initiative. Why digital media is coming on so big and important to us. So, and and also the old fashioned paradigm of newspapers
1: is, as you know, changing. I think that's the polite word. Mm -hmm. So I am a media critic whose beat extends to your organization. So it's my job today to hold you accountable. But you are a press counsel whose purview extends to my organization. So it's been your job when complaints are filed against us to hold us accountable. But in addition to that, and however, it is arguable that my interest in holding you accountable could arguably be compromised by the fact that I also have a competing interest in maintaining your legitimacy, because after all we are a member organization and we want to be able to say that we're a member in good standing of a respectable organization. They do a fine job of holding us to the highest journalistic standards, and at the same time, it is arguable that your interest in presenting yourselves as an independent arbiter of, of, of Canada lands journalistic standards that that is compromised by a competing interest that uh, you have stated, that you you, you feel like you should be promoting your organization and you wanna be on a podcast so that more people know about what you're doing, which means that you now have a stake in our legitimacy. Is this an accurate picture of the, it's not a snake eating its own tail, it's like if you could imagine a ball of snakes
2: I don't know. The two of us just in the same big hole digging out our graves. What, what, what are we doing here? <laughs> we, maybe too much worry. Maybe a little too much worry there. Maybe. We sound like
1: really fun party guests. Let's all yeah. get together and hold each other accountable.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, we both do quite serious stuff, and we both get in trouble. So there's other parallels, too. And also, I, I sort of uh, think that your listeners should know how you joined the National Use Media Council. It was uh, basically on a dare. With a pistol to my head, as I recall. Uh, well, I was in front of television, and I'm afraid I had been um, sort of out of the the real loop. And I I hope this is okay to say. I didn't know who you were, but I was set up by the last head of the Ontario Press Council. Yeah. And it
1: wasn't until my daughter said, you agreed to go on Je- with Jesse Brown. You you looked like a deer caught in headlights in the, during that. So the first time we met was was uh, to uh, in a previous episode of Canada Land, where it was about me questioning... What this whole press council business is worth, and, and what it what it actually does, and whether it's there to protect journalists or whether it's there to advocate for the public, and I think he did very well under the circumstances, and ultimately turned it on me and said, "I'll offer you a membership for a dollar a year," and I think the rates have since gone up a uh, hundredfold. But- they have for you,
2: um, but usually there's lunch involved too. Um, but what you, in fact, said was that under no circumstances would you ever join anything as stupid as a press council. Yeah. But for the purposes of the interview, why don't you try and sell me? And my memory was that I said nothing for a couple of minutes. and You looked at me, not a couple of minutes, but enough time to leave some dead air. It ear. felt like that. And then, and then I thought, well, I think I said, I don't know how to proceed. I mean, if, if, if there's no reason for you whatsoever to join a press council, then I can't. Argue. So I, I then, just on the spur of the moment, offered you, because it was my first three weeks in the job, I offered you a $1 a year a chance to try out. And I'm really glad you did accept it. I don't think we've had that many people write us. We've had a few. Mm-hmm. Um, and you deal in a very muscular way with complaints. But we've managed to retain a relationship. But it could well be that we will have harsh words for each other so at I some point on the road.
0: Uh, but press councils aren't just something we dreamed up. Press and media councils exist. And many follow the same type of model that, that we do. And the purpose is always to to help maintain. I, I don't see anything nefarious in looking at each other's standards and trying to promote the best journalism that one can.
1: First of all, you found my Achilles heel because I, I can't say no to a bargain. But... Uh, <laughs> It's worked out for us in that we can warrant, and we do, that we we give a damn if we got something wrong, and that we are accountable. Yes. Uh, if you bring something false to our attention, um, we'll take it seriously, and if we need to, we'll correct it. But that is asking people to trust us, that we take things seriously. And it, it is it is beneficial to us to be able to say, and we are a member in good standing of the National News Media Council, and if you're unsatisfied with our response to this, you can take your complaint to them. And why that benefits us and your other organizations is because that's something people can do before they go call a lawyer. Exactly. And, and in fact, if they take the complaint to you, they can't call a lawyer it's 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 a the
0: understanding that. right
1: right so I can see how I mean from the this was sort of my argument in our first encounter was I can see how this benefits the press. how does this benefit the public and there is an answer to this
0: Well the answer is that when there is nowhere to go, yeah resentments build up, mistrust builds up, inequality of balance that's really not helpful for our desire for exp- freedom of expression. So it's to to equalize it's to prevent a tyranny of the press mm-hmm. It's also to prevent legislation that might be invoked if there's a feeling that the press has a power and the public has no recourse.
1: I think I understand the tension and and the challenge that you guys have because you do need the public to see this as something available to them and and recourse they have. And we're increasingly having a conversation about journalistic standards and ethics. It's become a mainstream thing that people are debating every day. And and the idea that the press is sort of out of control is something you'll read on Facebook and comments. Everybody seems to say that, but the actual level of literacy as to what journalistic ethics and standards are, arguably it's kind of low. And I I imagine you also have an interest in trying to raise the the literacy. I think that part of the tension is that even when you do the job right and uphold your journalistic standards, the results are so often unsatisfying to the reasons why people get angry about news stories.
0: Mm.
1: I think the best way for us to explore that is by talking about some of these cases. Case number one, Ailes versus Globe and Mail. I think it's interesting also that they are presented as like legal dockets, whereas... More people would know what we're talking about. If we said, "Oh, it's the one about that terrible Margaret Wente column."
0: We call it that terrible Margaret Wente column. It's being, not uh, very neutral, no, is it? If you, so if how, we, can, how can we if be the headline, seen as? Sorry, that's how as, I represent it. I'm sorry. And I, you fair-minded. know, well, I'm not trying to
1: tell you how to do this. There's Canada, land and there's. Uh, I think that the headline of the of the piece in question, in fact. You mentioned the publication and the headline of the piece, but you don't mention the name of the journalist. So if everyone's furious about a Margaret Wente column, and some months later a ruling comes under the headline Ailes versus Globe and Mail, there's a bit of a classification issue there. On that point,
2: when people are angry as hell, what they generally want is punishment. We're the worst place to go to for punishment. Our job is to correct things, not to whip people in public. And that's one of the misconceptions of what we're able to do. We're there for journalistic standards to correct mistakes. I don't know how much time we spend trying to tell people that columnists are entitled to opinions as long as the facts that they're basing their opinions on are verifiable. Well,
1: let's talk about that in the context of this piece. And this piece kind of snuck something in. I think... um Margaret Wente was being uh, uh, pretty clever here because she was saying, hey, even conservatives, uh, some, some of them agree that there should be a universal basic income. Oh, what an unexpected take from Margaret Wente to be advocating for some form of the welfare state. And, and she bases pretty much the entirety of her argument on uh, recent comments by the author of a book called The Bell Curve. No mention is made of why The Bell Curve is as controversial as it is. In the Margaret Wente column, I think she does refer to it as an unfairly maligned book. Anyone who is at all familiar with the bell curve knows that this is a foundational text for people who are trying to reassert the idea that some races are inherently smarter than others. It even has a chapter advocating for eugenics, that the black population is kind of born with lower IQs than the white population and that uh, we should be careful because welfare mothers reproduce at a higher rate. And so, uh, you know, there's some really racist ideology. And it's a book that, on the merits of its research, has been widely discredited, but is now surging ahead in its popularity as it's being claimed by a whole new generation of racists. None of that had anything to do with what Margaret Wente was saying. It was merely... An article that suggests that this book is unfairly maligned, and the author has some things to say that we should learn from when it comes to a completely different topic.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Now, your counsel dismissed the complaint about this because, as you're saying, it's not really your job to say which columnists should have which opinions. But here we have a situation where legitimacy is being conferred upon a text that is a dangerous text and a discredited text. And and I feel like almost skillfully and willfully she has like skirted if she had cited any of the debunked information in that book, perhaps there would have been some recourse within your methodology to mm-hmm. say your source is no good. But I don't even think that within your methodology you got that one wrong it's almost like a critique of your methodology that the thing that people were angry about is like are we seriously going to take the bell curve seriously as as an acceptable reference point can we have Mein Kampf like you know what's off
0: limits then that was that was a tricky one because if you read critiques about that portion of Charles Murray's work you kind of go what the heck but then you read other critiques that put it in a different light and then you read that you know, that was one part of a 600 page book. And then you realize that this column wasn't even about the book or about Charles Murray or about eugenics or about that chapter. It was a column about the guaranteed annual income. And this was kind of a passing reference that in her opinion, this book was wrongly maligned. Key words in her opinion. Mm -hmm. And what part of this book, like, we don't know. It was just such a Sideswipe, and maybe if it should have been, you know, the columnist should have been critiqued, it should have been for sideswiping. But we have a huge tension in walking that ground between being in danger of being seen to limit a columnist's freedom of expression. When a columnist's job is to be provocative, with the lack of specifics about what the heck she was talking about in the book that was objectionable. We didn't have a specific to rule on. So you're right in a lot of ways. The, the, there was nothing specific there for us to work with. We couldn't say what it was. So it was maybe, maybe a well-crafted column in that sense.
1: I think so. I I, I felt like it was a, a very deliberate... It's like the only way that you could present this book to a mass audience as a legitimate text that is yeah, unfairly I'm not maligned. I'm sure that
0: the column is really about presenting the book.
1: I don't know what Margaret Wente's motives are, but I can tell you that we are involved in a kind of ideological warfare right now where people are very, very clever about massaging their messages. Mm-hmm. And it's something that we cover when you've got various white supremacists, white nationalist, anti-migrant groups. Hmm. Really, and you can get into their discussion groups and see them strategizing. Some of our messages are not going to be covered by the media. Let's stress a pro-oil Uh, message and downplay some of the other stuff and let's not show the guy with a swastika on his head. Let's get Mm -hmm. uh, clean cut haircuts and wear suits. I don't know what Margaret Wente is motivated by when she wakes up in the morning, but here she is introducing back into the public discourse one of the foundational texts of modern day racists. Is it your job to be on alert for that that's what people were angry about
0: is it my job to say this book is off limits as a reference
1: well is there a limit to your neutral stance I think the way you put it is that the council is not going to weigh in on on opinions and and limit opinions that are simply unpopular and provocative. Mm -hmm. I guess I would argue that there are some opinions that are beyond unpopular and provocative, which actually sounds kind of titillating. An unpopular and provocative opinion sounds like uh, an article I want to read. No, there are some ideas that we have relegated to the dustbin of of a racist history that we we have pushed outside of legitimacy for a reason.
0: Sometimes they have to be resurrected, at least brought out so the people who didn't know perhaps about the bell curve and Charles Murray and how quaint and antiquated his views are, burying the information and keeping it out of sight generally doesn't help. I think sometimes you just need to be aware of where the conversation has been in the past and what the thought has been in the past. So you can look at that and say, uh-uh, not anymore.
1: Yeah, but Margaret Wente was not very interested in exploring and bringing the bell curve back for us to actually have a robust conversation about the contentious aspect. So neither her column nor your response to it mm. really spoke to that. It succeeded in presenting a, a compelling argument that you might want to go check out from this, this controversial book.
2: There are things that we cannot resolve within our framework. Our job is to find out errors and mistakes and try and get them corrected. There's bound all us to be some dissatisfaction. That said, there are certain areas, obviously. A Holocaust denier, there's enough evidence out there yeah. to say that the, the equal play isn't a legitimate thing in the case of of, of Holocaust denial.
1: What if I was uh, quoting a passage from a Holocaust denier's book that had nothing to do with the Holocaust and I didn't give you any indication of my opinion as to the Holocaust denial stuff. Uh, It was the other stuff that I was relying on. Would it be your position and would it be your role to say you really shouldn't be looking at that source at all?
2: Uh, no, I don't think we'd do that. I think we'd look at what was being said in the actual article. The thing that you're trying to... I think—I like, never we, rule on hypotheticals. The dissatisfaction, <laughs> the dissatisfaction with us is going to always be when we can't take an overarching view on a major issue. Just try and solve some of the complaints we get on, on the Israeli-Arab issue, for example, or, mm-hmm. or climate change. Although... There's enough body of opinion that climate change does exist. For example, I always say, you know, the ice age happens, so
1: clearly climate change exists. I mean, this is really what I'm trying to determine here is, fine, if you're saying that you're just there to correct mistakes by, like, a rule book of journalistic standards, and then the problems that people have cover a range of issues that are not merely incorrect facts to be corrected, then... Okay, Uh, let's look at this next case. Well, if if I
0: can just one more thing. The the, uh, complainant said that the columnist didn't have the right to have a platform like that to give credence to a man who wasn't uh, controversial but wrong. We can't tell a paper what columnists they can have. The answer, and I'll probably go back to this a few times, isn't to shut down the conversation but to offer the opportunity. Okay, so submit an op-ed, submit a letter to the editor, get the information out there, clarify What's wrong with this guy? Like, get more conversation and debate going.
1: The answer to bad speech is good speech. Is that something that you can assign uh, uh, We can't assign them, but we can recommend it. Because you, the problem there is that you are legitimizing the bell curve without any indication as to what is illegitimate about it. It's unfairly maligned. It's a great book.
0: But that raises the question that it's maligned. So the intelligent reader will say, uh, why was it maligned? Never mind. Did the Globe
1: ever been... provide information about that? Was there a follow-up that actually explained why the bell curve was maligned? So people can make up their own minds as to whether it was fairly or unfairly maligned?
0: I don't know, but readers can look up. After it wasn't
1: a recommendation that you gave. Is that the kind of recommendation you, you, you might you, give?
0: you that's an interesting thought. Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> um, but
2: thought. but we're we're not a high school on this. You know, we yeah. we're just trying to deal with this stuff individually. And I think part of part of the frustration someone that wants a different kind of, of media counsel is always going to have is the limits that we have to impose upon ourselves in order to maintain membership and also to be the usefulness to the basic job of trying to correct things. Yeah, no,
1: I it's it, you've got a tough job for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, um,
0: and that was a hard one. Yeah. And we admit it. That was a hard one.
1: Here's one. Morris versus Toronto Sun. With reference to a Joe Warmington article, column, hard to tell these days, of July 24th, 2018. We call that one the Hezbollah flag. Right? No. Uh, this is another Joe Warmington case. Mm. Okay, sorry. <laughs> was Danforth attack terror oh, the or, or the Shooter address. Shooter yeah. address. Yeah. So, of course, uh, Faisal Hussein shot a bunch of people in the Danforth. Mm. And Joe Warmington published the address where he and his parents lived with the apartment number. Mm -hmm. The city was angry, understandably so, grieving, mourning, furious. The parents of this uh, murderer, I mean, they were already being accosted by the press, which I think is is legitimate. People wanted information and answers. Mm -hmm. But anyone who felt like this was not a mentally troubled lone wolf who thought that maybe there was a family that had something to do with this or a culture or a religion, now was in possession of the address and apartment number. Mm -hmm. You said that's okay.
0: Not at first I didn't. I saw that and I thought it was awful. I was fairly upset about it and I thought, this has gone too far. I did some research and that paper was not the only one that published the address. Around the same time, the, the Bruce MacArthur situation was evolving and... Bruce
2: Picato, your listeners
1: know, is the, the serial killer. The serial killer. Yeah.
0: So that was another murder situation and that address was published.
1: But it's a different situation. There's no parents there who are know. vulnerable and at risk. We don't
0: know. I don't know if he had roommates. He certainly had neighbors just the same. So I looked and found that different media published the address in various forms for both cases.
1: But you weren't asked to weigh in on Bruce MacArthur, nor were you asked to weigh in on other newspapers mm-hmm. that published. You were asked to weigh in on Joe Warmington, mm-hmm. who's a bit of a crusading columnist,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, who whips up people's mm. ire and their, their, their anger.
0: Again, the job of a columnist. Sure. But there
1: is a context. You know, you're, you're looking for rules. Okay, so for Bruce MacArthur, so why not for this one? Well, because this one was different. Because this one, there was a community that Mm -hmm. was vulnerable. Mm -hmm. There were specific people that you did know about. I mean, with Bruce MacArthur, it's a hypothetical. Maybe somebody was in that apartment. But in this one, you know the parents are there. And there's a context to Joe Warmington and his audience that he's cultivated. Mm -hmm. How is that okay to publish the address? I mean, people could get killed.
0: And so would we have a ruling that says the Toronto Sun can't publish the address, but everybody else can?
1: Aren't most of your rulings contextual? Like some things are okay in certain situations, and other times, it's but just how, like journalists it's just uh, like like news. But I think sets, the you know? ruling
0: does say that. I think the ruling says that a great deal of care has to be given on a case by case basis in order to consider whether there might be people who are vulnerable. Yeah, maybe there are people that live in the neighborhood that want to know to stay away or to be prepared. So there's some public interest in that Wait, from that aspect. What's the public interest in knowing the address? Um, people who in in who live in the neighborhood to know what's... I mean, they know what's going on because they can see the cruisers out there, but...
1: You guys have a different version of the same conversation that happens, hopefully, in newsrooms between reporters and editors, which is weighing the public interest to have information against the impact it's going to have on the lives of the people who are mentioned in a story. Mm. And that's the kind of conversation that happens in newsrooms all the time. All the time. So you would hope in that story, they'd say, okay, it's pretty frequent that addresses get published for this, that, or the other thing when, when crime is involved. And, you know, you can get that from the cops. And, you know, it's also stuff that just people know. And we're not in the, in the business of obscuring things that are publicly known. If you lived in that mm-hmm. neighborhood, you would know which building. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Joe Warmington will go to his editor and make a case like that. And then the editor would say, yeah, but the guy has parents who live there. There's a legitimate safety concern when you publish mm-hmm. the address. That's a legitimate point. One thing your listeners maybe don't quite understand,
2: it's not Pat and me that decide all this. We can present the case from the complaint, but it actually goes out to 17 people.
0: I was actually just going to say that um, one so of our directors had a very interesting story on in the reason for publishing the address and he talked about in his city there's a street that's lovely and nice old homes and everything else and very popular for sunday walks and so on but one of the houses is a hell's angel's Place and so in that case, they're always careful to publish the address, right, right, so that they don't malign everybody else. So
1: it's case by case, which exactly. is why you know you're saying, well, I can't rule this way. Uh, we can't rule this way on this one because that's got to go for everybody. But of course, that's not how news decisions get made. Every editorial decision is weighed on its own merits, and that's
0: what the decision says.
1: Is there any circumstance where you would say you should not have
0: published A hypothetical cases? I don't rule. Yeah.
1: <laughs> All right, I'm going to bring up a kiss where I think you did a really good job.
0: <gasps> Yay.
1: You knew we were going to get to this one. It's the goat slaughtering case, where no goats were slaughtered. Catchy headline. Mm-hmm. See, that's if, if uh, I could help you with your headlines.
0: But okay, here's the issue with that though. We can write a really catchy news story that talks about this decision, but do we end up shaming our members? I, that's not our intent.
1: Shame is important. Journalism is kind of fueled by shame. Well, I think
0: yeah. credibility is so important that if we just say you made an error there, you feel that that damaged your credibility enough, that shame is absolutely unnecessary.
2: I have to tell you one thing, too. When, when the council rules against a paper, even though we're not in the blame business, we're just into corrections, clearly they're feeling it. But I would say Candleland is the proper place to shame people with. <laughs> that, that's what you do really well. and um, are so sweet. Uh, it, And even take some yourself. But the moment we become... That prescriptive, we're finished. We really are finished. We don't stick to some basic concept, even if we get it wrong sometimes, but some basic concept, which is we try and correct the record. And we try to do it so that you don't have to go to a lawyer and cost, cost you money. And at the same time, we also explain why an opinion columnist has the right to an opinion, mm-hmm. as long as the facts
1: are relatively supportable. Um, <laughs> otherwise, we're, we're, there's no point to us. With all of that being said, you are not in the business of shaming. and, and No, you are. And I am. Let me quote from this beautifully like... shaming verdict, which <laughs> okay. which just was... eviscerated Sue Ann yeah. Levy. And it was just, yeah. please, write 10 more like this, because she had it coming. The story was, irregular migrants continue to flock into Toronto, and where she credulously reported that a hotel was looking like a refugee camp, and it was all on the government dime, and all these refugees were running rampant. And in fact, according to a credible source, TripAdvisor they were slaughtering goats in the hotel bathroom. And shortly thereafter, there was an attempted firebombing at that hotel. So, you got a bunch of complaints about that. And I think your practice is to pick a representative complaint and respond to that one. And the complaint was mostly upheld. I'll read from from your decision. The council noted that basic journalistic standards of seeking accuracy were noticeably lacking. Uh, and while you... Except that columnists are going to have opinions, columnists still must adhere to journalistic standards of the news media organization, including commitment to accuracy. In this case, the columnist, we don't name her, the columnist referred to TripAdvisor, a crowdsourced platform for online reviews, as reputable. Excuse me, I said credible before. She used the word reputable. Thus giving credibility to it as a source, even as the columnist was unable to confirm or deny any of the information reported from that source. Neither did the writer describe any attempt to visit the hotel, verify the claim, or offer any caution about the failed efforts to do so. The News Media Council views this as a serious breach of journalistic standards for accuracy in reporting. The news organization's response, acknowledging the error in not citing the unsuccessful effort to find verification, is noted, but is not, in our view, adequate remedy for the breach of journalistic standards. Citing an unsubstantiated post from a crowdsourced platform as evidence is akin to citing a rumour. It's very strong, and in the column, she barely did anything to find out if this was true. Mm -hmm. And what this ruling did, that some of your other rulings did not do, there are other rulings where the news organization later corrected or clarified, as The Sun did in this case, Mm -hmm. uh, where you say, well, we can't hold them responsible if they've already corrected. And that, I think, is unsatisfying to a lot of the complainants, because, of course, the lie spreads a lot further and is given a lot more space than the truth. The correction is often ignored, it's buried, basically saying that a paper has license to print whatever it wants, wherever it wants, and as big a font as it wants, as long as at some point in the future they say, sorry, we got that wrong. That's really unsatisfying to people who feel hurt by those news stories. Here you're drawing a line and saying, no, 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 no. In this case, (laughs) this is so out of whack with the way a reporter... I think that's the point. Especially when you're reporting on something that is so Mm rage-inducing as the idea that on your government dollar this is happening in a hotel, especially when you're dealing with vulnerable people, especially yeah. when it's just such a a hate-inducing column yeah. that uh, it's no good. It's no good that you 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 called the hotel and they didn't get back to you in time. It's no good that you corrected it a couple days later. We uphold this complaint. It's not good enough.
0: Yeah, it wasn't a couple days later. How long ago uh, did that? That's what wasn't clear.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. But Jesse, um, it was an outsized example. This. Decision apart, there will always be people that aren't happy with the fact that a token correction isn't enough. I mean, that must happen to you. Your your own organization um, makes corrections, but yes. it's not always to everyone's satisfaction. No, so you know exactly no. that. Signal, we, but-
1: we generally try to do better than the papers that we criticize and and do the correction on the same platform where we yes. make the mistake. But it's it's if it's a minor thing, we'll just add something to the show notes, and I'm sure some people think that we're trying to bury something.
0: In this case. There was a lot wrong. This was a bad example of something that just failed to be journalism. Generally speaking, the journalism standards in Canada are quite high. People really do try to do well. You talked about censure. I object to that word a lot of the time. We, our, our business isn't to censure, generally speaking. Our job is to remedy, as it's John said, and to educate. Because, as I say, j- Canadian journalism is pretty, pretty good on the whole. When we come across something like this, this deserves censure
1: here's the problem with the ruling that would I otherwise quite enjoyed.
0: Figured it would come.
1: Because part of the complaint was dismissed with reservation. Yeah. And this is kind of at the heart of the complaint. Mm-hmm. It's such an outsized example because she was so sloppy mm. in trying to achieve her ends, which is a consistent theme of Sue Ann Levy's columns is targeting vulnerable communities and, and Muslims and, and migrants. But in this case, she just did such a shitty job as a journalist that you were able to get her on that. Or, sorry, you're not trying to get anybody, that that part of the complaint was upheld. But she's probably i hope i don't know going to be more careful in the future and it's very possible to get your facts right and still target vulnerable communities and the part of the complaint that said that this is a column that very obviously and clearly holds up a vulnerable people to violence and in fact there was an attempt of violence following that column you dismiss that i'll paraphrase saying that uh, the column clearly did not suggest that anyone commit violence against refugees if you have to actually say, here's the hotel, look it up, this is going on at the hotel, you don't have to say, go there and
0: firebomb it. There are violent, awful people out there. Mm. But if you are counseling violence, that's a criminal offense. that—that that, that is. Does, does, it, does it have way? to go
1: that far before before you can say that, that that complaint is valid?
0: So we have credibility to maintain as well, right? And we have journalism to uphold. So, again, if if people want us to wade in and label people as racists, I feel that kind of pushes my job description pretty far because I'm. it's not my job to label people. It's my job to look at the journalism. And so the way we thought we could have a defensible decision was to look at what was behind, what made people think it was racist. Mm-hmm. And in our view, in the view of the directors, what made people think it was racist was by repeatedly calling these people illegal Yeah. without any basis. Some of them may have been, but to call all of the people illegal with no evidence that yeah. they were illegal and to do that repeatedly, that was the journalistic failing because that's, that's not accurate and, and it's not good practice to use inflammatory words with the vulnerable population, as the decision said. And so that's the aspect that we could deal with, that's within our mandate. And then, again, leave it for people to come to their own conclusions about the writer.
1: The difficulty here consistently is that, you know, throughout the history of, of racism, it's spoken in code and dog mm-hmm. whistles, and you're trying to find something solid, and the sand keeps, you know, slipping it through does, your fingers. but so. we've
0: identified it, one of those dog whistles, and, and, and people yeah. here can we be are educated right to look out for it. That's the, that's here we the, are what carrying we can on do. the
1: conversation, and you're getting to say everything. Absolutely. I thought it was a very strong ruling. I thought it was probably read by a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of the people who read the original article.
0: Yeah. Unfortunately.
1: And I think that not naming Sue Ann Levy as consistent with your practice... If you're looking for tips as to how to get the public more engaged with this stuff,
0: name the reporter. But do you want to talk about that a little bit? All right. I want to return to this one because there's another
1: aspect of this. But let's talk about that. Why don't you name the journalist?
0: The journalist theoretically has an editor and an editor above that. (laughs) Theoretically. And so why would we... And a publisher. And a publisher. Uh News media are responsible for the content they publish. So, it's the news media organization that's responsible for that. We don't know how many eyes and hands that an article went through. so sometimes errors are introduced in editing. So it wouldn't be fair in that case to blame a journalist if an error were introduced. And how do we know we trace that through? So we put this through um the lens of it's the responsibility of the news organization also, we don't want somebody to be left hanging all on their own because of something they've done in the course of their job. Yeah,
1: I get what you're saying, let like the masthead publish this, the masthead is, is, is mm, who you're yeah. holding responsible. Of course, the Quebec Press Council publishes the names of
0: journalists. They're a different animal than we are. Yeah.
1: I mean, this is what I have to do when you publish your rulings. They come out and it says, here's this one, it's uh, Joe Blow versus uh, so, you know, the London Free Press. Mm-hmm. I have to click on that link,
0: mm-hmm. go into
1: the ruling, Find the headline of the piece that's in question. Mm-hmm. Google that,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then read the piece. Then I come back to your ruling to find out what it's about. It's not a very user friendly.
0: Yeah. Who's going
1: to do that unless it's your job to do it, which it is for me? But oh, yeah.
0: Know. So Australia uses the same method that we do. They they have a narrative. I would want to think hard about attaching. Like, I don't articles. think you
1: even link to it. Do, do you link to it in the piece? I have to do the googling because it's not there's not a hyperlink.
0: Yeah. I would have to think about whether that's a good idea, depending on what the ruling is. We might not want to really give that article much more currency, visibility. Well, that kind
1: of works at odds with what you were saying earlier, yeah. which is that if we're you know uh, having a rigorous conversation is part of the value that you provide. I mean, how mm-hmm. can we even? How, how do I know if this is a good ruling? Do you want or not?
0: that that article to that column to be recirculated in the decision?
1: I, I, if it's out there, and uh, then yeah, I I, I think basically. I don't know. Either you but, want the stuff to be part of the conversation, you want your rulings to have have as, more readers, or you don't. And with if, with you, the, you know. Each each ruling yeah. get press statement and it's tweeted, and yeah. so the basics of it go out there yeah. pretty fast. I, I
0: don't think what we do is very different from what other press councils do, but I can we sh- we could we could look our, at that to figure out our big that's our, part of the problem. our big
2: our big boast is that unlike press councils in this country in the past, we can get a decision really fast. Uh-huh. Whereas in the old days, you waited you know, four opportunities a year.
1: Look, I'm here to help. No, is <laughs> It's good. it's good to be challenged. I'm- the biggest problem with that piece and, and the ruling, is not anything that you did. The biggest problem is that they don't care. The Toronto Sun doesn't have a public editor, doesn't have an ombudsperson, and does not answer our calls for accountability. A lot of places, if we uh, have things to say, we'll call up, we'll say, come on the show. We'll say to Adrian Batra, the Editor-in-Chief, I've asked her a number of times, will you come on the show? Will you stand by what you publish? She won't. They won't answer
0: questions. She they, gave me a response to a complaint yesterday. Yeah,
1: they do. They do care a
0: lot,
2: and they fight having to acknowledge it, but they have to mm-hmm. under the terms in which um, they are allowed to, for instance, work with uh, Postmedia Media, was uh, subjecting themselves to an organization like ours. And if they don't, then
1: well, in they trouble. are a member organization. So uh, you know, uh, your ruling did draw Sue Ann Levy out to finally She's speak this. about this. Oh, she did when the ruling was sort of uh, held under her nose, here it is. Your paper obviously recognizes the legitimacy of this council and this council has sternly rebuked you. What do you have to say about that? She said, it's funny. She said, this is voluntary. It's a collection of liberal elitists who can't wait to jump on the Toronto sun. Their decision was predictable and biased. There is no indication that she was censured in any way. Other journalists were saying, What did the Sun do about this? Uh, Will it happen again? It's a black hole. Susan Delacorte said this would be a firing offense. Mm. And Sue Ann Levy has essentially publicly let it be known that you guys are completely illegitimate to her.
0: To my view, that's not a lot different from the complainant who... Calls us toothless and useless. I take it people are are dissatisfied. They want more, or in Slavi's case, perhaps she wants less of us. But that doesn't change oh, our commitment and it's to true, do it's what truly, we're doing.
2: It's truly exciting when both sides are really angry at us. Both, both the complainant. Um, <laughs> well, welcome <laughs> to my world. Yeah, yeah that happens. The, the too, complainant. Yes. and and and, happens. and we, this happens a lot. And that's yeah. when we actually think we've done a good job. It's such an
1: ugly situation where it you is. have uh, a reporter yeah, it is. who is supposedly like operates in your universe and <laughs> saying. I don't give a damn what they say. They're out to get me. Like, yeah. Is there any standard so
0: what I think for them of- to be
1: undercutting you like that?
0: No, I think that we're stronger than one or two critics, or even six or seven critics, or even if one paper really resents having to be a member of us. I think we're stronger than than that person's or that paper's. Opinion. And they
2: will abide by um, our ruling and and, and 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 print it, or else they will be.
1: Well,
0: can we talk about that for a second? Uh,
2: oh, we
0: went too far there.
2: But well, they have to print a, a published. Or
0: what? Are we gonna or, or cut or all post media free? That's not that's not no. reasonable, and that's not. There are good papers in that chain, and there are good editors yeah. who are responsive. No, the sun
1: got dragged into. To your purview, right? The Sun I don't think was a member and it was only when they got gobbled up by Post Media and now... Uh,
0: and there are still some There's some good Sun papers and good editors who are responsive and, and responsible and that I've had pleasure in dealing with them.
1: You know, in Quebec when um, Pierre Carpelle uh, news organization pulled out of the press council mm-hmm. they kept on taking complaints against that. News organization mm. now they're getting sued. And
2: not, not something you want, I guess. No, no, the, no, Australia, no, the Australian Press Council will adjudicate complaints of non uh,
1: against non-members, but we, we do. Uh,
0: so does uh, I think it's Georgia.
1: Yeah, and we. Get, and I know why they do that. They, like you, you can't avoid our scrutiny just by pulling out of our organization. You're, st- you're still answerable. That that sounds like a strong position for a council.
0: It is a strong position, but in times of tight money, do members want to be paying for somebody to get it?
1: Yeah, you got to pay for the rulings. Plus, you're you now might you're get paying a, free by, load, uh, a freeloader. Yeah. You
0: know, like that—that that doesn't seem fair. We got to pay for members. your justice. Yeah.
1: I wanted to talk about yeah. um, what John was saying, which is that whether she likes it or not, she's got to publish her paper's going to have to publish the ruling, and she's going to and a link to the full ruling. They have to publish an account. There's that a loophole. Ruled against it. There's a loophole. What's the loophole? The loophole is, according to your rules, the ruling must be published in full if it is upheld in full. Usually, a complaint will have many d- different parts to it. No, the Bombardier case, the Globe and Mail, they did not publish the full ruling. They published a little, no. a little snippet, no. No, and then no, no, and then no, no, they no, published no, no. a
0: link. Sorry, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna clarify. They're to to publish the upheld portion of the ruling.
1: The upheld portion of the ruling. Yeah. And so also publish a link to and, and publish
2: a link to the full ruling.
1: I see. So the parts that actually censored them, those have to yeah. be published in yes. the paper. Yes. And, and well, or, the yeah. or, or the digital site. Or the digital site. Ooh. So, the devil's in the details, right? Like, I know. like you could have a, a front page story that is wrong on nine counts, you know, and theoretically here, I know you hate hypotheticals, but somebody complains about 10 things and you dismiss one. And would the paper be within your guidelines to then publish the nine upheld parts somewhere on their website? Correcting a story that was the front page of that newspaper. Well, it should be
0: appended if the article is still online. It has to be appended to that. With True, the article, which note. now
1: is you know a month or two. How, how long is your turno- turnover?
0: It's generally six weeks, something like that. So six it weeks. Can, it can. I, I can't say. It depends. Some are S- one day.
1: <laughs> six <laughs> weeks, as much as six weeks after yeah. an incorrect story yeah. is published something might show up on their website linking to the full ruling. Mm-hmm.
0: And they should have, where they normally run corrections, there should be a note saying that the Media Council has mm-hmm. held up, um, a, and then give the connection. I don't know how you that fix way. that. Because if, if you difficult. were to say you got
1: to put the correction the same place you had the error, they're going to say no. Uh, we're not going to run the front page of the newspaper but, with a correction. But, but and I the, think
0: a better practice, I think what's considered best practice now, is to have a place for corrections. So regardless of... Where it might have been in the paper that you may or may not have seen as a reader, you can always go to that site for corrections. It's, first, it's the first spot I read the yeah. <laughs> paper every morning. It's what's been corrected today, and I think I think as a best practice, I support that anyhow because it's consistent. You know where to look for it, and then you can go to the correction and, and the details and online. You can link then to our our decision if that's what the case. And
2: is. and the reluctance the reluctance of a, of, of a, a news media organization to um deal with it, which they have to do eventually is also a sign of what, what you want, but which we don't like doing, which is shaming. They obviously feel shame.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I respect the council because right now I can say that every complaint against Canada land has been dismissed by the council. And if I'm going to brag about that, then I have to take the hit if somewhere in the future we actually have a complaint against us upheld, and we we
0: see we see that with with our our other of our members who are really pleased with our decisions some of the time, yeah, and then suddenly think that we've lost our minds. But can I just say something about about the Sun? Yes, it is a, a unique kind of paper in Toronto right now, and I would like to, as I have done, draw the distinction. There are, it's it is not a monolith. The Sun paper is different in the different cities, but it's a big population in Toronto there's and there's, there's what do you mean by unique though it's it's got a point of view it's uniquely terrible
1: I mean I'm it, not going
0: to say that I'm you know, but that's I'm, what i that's what people would call s- you I, uniquely
2: terrible I've, I've heard it from fellow members <laughs> fellow members who have you as uniquely terrible I'm
0: not going to say that I, I, I we don't, don't we don't say that it, that's, it, that's it, nice it speaks for a point of view whether one likes it or not, that's a part of the spectrum. And the whole point of media and freedom of expression and democracy is to be able to express all those things. Put it out there, you can look at it, you can deal with it. They so, had a cover so just, comparing
1: just, Andrea Horvath to Hitler.
0: That's not good.
1: It's not good and it's not something that you could really rebuke them for because it's, it, it falls under some kind of other aesthetic... Well, it would depend on how the complaint came in. We, we We wouldn't go out of our way if no one sent us a complaint...
2: We're not going to say anything, but I would say just to get back to the to the wider picture, the sun is as worth defending as Canada land. Sorry, but they are, and when they're wrong, uh, and we can show it wrong, either one will do it. But we we don't want to get into the business where one side of an ideological equation or one side of a, uh, of, a of a general way of. Reporting news is better than another, except where it's falls a, into the, what standards. we are. Uh, we're supposed to
1: defend which is standards and 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 facts. Because most people feel bound in some way from saying these things, it falls to me to say it to to, to call the the sun out in this particular way. And I say this knowing and liking yeah. some people who work there. And it, it, yeah, yeah, it is possible, and it's been possible throughout the 20th century for for press standards to fall to the point where a newspaper can become a really toxic and poisonous thing. Most of the things that a paper publishes that leads to it being a source of violence, an instigator of violence, a source of propaganda, a lot of that does not fall under breaking the factual rules of journalism or journalistic yeah. Some of it does, but a lot of it doesn't. Yeah. I never thought we would see in the 21st century a newspaper do some of the things that the Toronto Sun has done. Mm. And I guess my question to you is, is there anything that a newspaper or a news organization that is a member of your organization could do that would result in you saying, you're out? And, of, co- and, of course, and, you do. Let, let me just... So is there, a, is there a line you say... Yes, where and there say, nearly
2: was one, but we actually worked over backwards to try, I won't say what it was, but it was a digital news site that was breaking a lot of rules of basic practice in in um,
0: well, in that case it was sort of the same rules repeated the same the same issue or the same issue being repeated but we were we least
2: we sp- what could we be specific about things no Is, no we brought council members in and we actually Educated him. And uh-huh. He's mended his ways. Um, when I say he, it's a generic he. So, but just but for everybody's edification, the threat. rebel is not
1: a member of your organization. <laughs> no, no. So we're not no. talking about Israel no. event. No.
0: Okay. no. So to answer your question, I would say, again, without venturing into hypotheticals, we do have procedure for terminating membership. Uh-huh. And it would be on conditions of repeated episodes of the same kind of error with no inclination or no effort to learn or such an egregious egregious thing and so it goes through a process and it has to be a decision of the board there has to be attempts to rectify first attempts to come along but there's there's a procedure and yeah because it doesn't do us any good to have somebody that buys our badge and then brings down the reputation of the organization but the sun's not there yet
2: no, not, not, neither of you. Can I just sigh uh, we, we hard? We had two complaints about you, but because the people that were issuing the complaints decided to go to a legal route, we can't do anything about what? it. We will not touch anything. But well, we've had just about as vile things said about you. Which um, you dismissed. No, we didn't dismiss it. We couldn't deal with them. Because... No, no, you,
1: you did rule on... on uh... Oh, no, I'm
2: not talking about that. I'm talking about another issue, which I'm not going to be specific about, but you probably know what it is. But we couldn't deal with it
1: because but the, the complainants went the legal route, and it, we won't touch anything that goes the legal route. But has. an um, there's an implication there that we actually have transgressed in some way that that fell afoul. I mean, it, it, it's simply a matter of fact at this point that Candleland has never fallen afoul in any way of the standards of the council at this point, and the sun has several times
0: true I share some of your concern about the direction the sun is going mm-hmm. but I will defend its right to operate as media within the limits of the law I mean it
2: and, and subject to the fact that they formally abide by our council rulings when when they come up and
0: when they don't it is our prerogative, I suppose, to have this discussion at council and see if yeah. this member is still a good member.
1: They abide by it and they, they publish, they, they put it up on their website with a link or whatever, or they'll even put in the paper the correction. But if they don't abide by it in terms of like actually changing the way that they practice journalism and they don't seem to have a sense of shame, is that really a good member and one that you want to keep around? You know, because it, it seems like it's in bad faith. That's,
0: that's yes. And that's the discussion we did have with one member, as as John alluded to, and that's an option that we have open.
1: you got a hard, hard job. I think it's harder yeah. than mine uh, in a lot of ways. Yeah, because it's, it's, It is challenging, but it's I, but it's I don't have to have a formal methodology. Like, mm. if, if it looks like a rat and it smells like a rat, I can call it a rat.
2: Yeah, but you're about the only person in the country that does do that. So, um, I mean, most newspapers will hold back on some of the things that you don't hold back on. That's a compliment. But uh, you're not the normal news service that we see, to tell you the honest truth. We're unique. You're canada You're unique. So are we.
1: <laughs> I think that you guys are fighting the good fight in trying to get people more engaged with media literacy and getting them more engaged with knowing that they actually do have recourse for bad journalism. Uh, so here's my tip to you. Give journalists grades. If you get a uh, complaint upheld against you, it should be a demerit against you. It should be easy to find. You should be able to look up journalists and see what their credibility ranking is like.
0: Rate my journalist?
1: We'll yeah, but, but as opposed to a crowdsourced thing where you get a little sizzle pepper next to you if you're hot, uh, you know, which I also encourage if you want more clicks. I, but I think
0: that's
2: properly in the venue of Frank Magazine. I think they could do a good job doing raids. They do that, in fact. They're, they're,
1: Is this beneath you to, to say, this journalist, Yeah, we, we've upheld five complaints against this journalist. Uh, this journalist, we have never upheld a complaint against. We could probably do that for you if you want, because you put the data out there. But why wouldn't you just do it?
2: Um, because I think, actually, I think it would be wrong
0: because we're complaints driven right so some journalist who isn't good at his craft but practices in some area where for whatever reason um it's a smaller community more remote People don't know about the News Media Council, so the complaints against him aren't registered. So he doesn't get his little points that you're dis- you're describing. So he can parade as a good journalist just because there's no complaints against him. It doesn't sound like a very accountable system. And, and to me. I,
2: I agree with you. The most read column in Private Eye in Britain. What's it called? It's been there for years. Street of Shame. Street of Shame. And it's, it's, it's the, the weekly uh, repository of all of, the, all of the...
1: You consider this a tabloid uh, tactic to, to merely no, no,
2: count? No, no. Actually, I think it's in, in the proper place there. Right. And journalists read Private Eye and they read Frank religiously. Um, I, I can assure you they do. And, and they're, they're, they're the right people. If you want shame, that's the place to go to. But, <sighs> but it would, I think it would undermine our whole premise if we did that. So whatever, I mean, whatever we think privately. Some people just can't be helped. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's true. It's true. Thank you both You, so you much. included. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thanks, Jesse.
1: That is your Canada Land Show. You can email me about it at jesse at com. I read everything you send me. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. Our website is canadalandshow.com. Hey, our friends at the Terrific Podcast Side Note are letting their listeners know about Canada Land, and in return, we want you to know about their show. Side Note This is a show where hosts Mitch and Greg take on interesting questions like Is Elon Musk evil? or Should you be eating breakfast? But it's not simply a chat show. They integrate a lot of research and science into these discussions. It is worth your attention. If you love science, pop culture, or debate, check out Side Note wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is produced by Kasia Mihailovich. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton. Syndication is handled by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like or appreciate or value the work that we do at Canada Land, if you want to receive ad-free versions of all of our podcasts, you can get that when you support us at patreon.com canadaland Canada Land. Please do. For just $2 a month, that is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you.
2: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods,